Hello and welcome back to the Scottish Rugby Podcast brought to you by the Scottish Rugby Blog. I am Cami Black uh, and we are here with one of our little kind of Rugby World Cup mini podcasts that we're putting out in between our big main ones um, and this one is to have a look back at what's happened over the weekend with some of the games in Scotland's Pool A and also look ahead to uh, the big game on Wednesday which is Scotland versus Russia uh, and joining me uh, hopefully to try and do some very complex maths because that's where we are with things folks uh, it's co-founder of the blog Alan Alker. Hey how you doing? Um, you can get in touch with us folks uh, as many of you have done before this podcast we'll, we'll have lots of contributions tonight from uh, people on Twitter uh, you can get us at Scott Rugby Blog or at Cami Black we're on Facebook and Instagram as well and you can email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk um, you are listening to us already so you've probably found us on some sort of podcast app but we are on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, TuneIn and any other podcast apps that you uh, that, that are out there if we're not on one that you would like us to be on let us know and we'll, we'll try and make that happen uh, the main thing we'd like you to do, though, is visit the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, where you can read uh, all our latest match reports, player ratings, uh, and get involved in the comments. Things seem to have died down a little bit after the uh, after the Ireland game. We got a little bit out of hand, but but there is lots of good debate goes on there. Um, we normally start with some news, Al. Um, the, the one bit of news I wanted to pick up with you. I've, have you seen that uh, the the uh, to, of, as of today the return of the SRU's independent commentator? No, I had not. This had escaped my uh, my attention. Yes, <laughs> so they're back, are they? They um... they are back. They they've been re- they've been rebranded as well, which is hilarious. Ooh, interesting. Uh, he has been. Uh, he's called. It's Donald Walker. And Donald has been has been subject to a rebrand by the SI. He's no longer the the independent commentator. Uh, he is now what would they call him today? Uh, the their their guest writer. Their guest writer. I'm pretty sure Hitler had one of those, right? Yeah. <laughs> Rennie, what's her face? Is that the, this person supposed well, to be doing these like, days? Yeah. Um, what was the bloke? The the guy in Iraq. Telling the press everything was fine. Oh, as comic, t- comical alley as the bombs dropped behind him. Yeah. So sort of Ireland were running over tries. We're going, yes, this is going fantastically for Scotland. Well, actually, I think it was more his tone was more, what did you expect? It's your fault the bombs are falling. <laughs> yeah, so really- well, I'm sure, sure all, we've all, as Scotland rugby fans, at some point in the dark wee hours sat there and looked in the mirror and thought, is this my fault? Yeah. So maybe we'll call him Comical Donny. That might be unfair. <laughs> uh, his. Stick. <laughs> yeah, his latest thing um, is about uh, why we shouldn't worry about the number of registered players with the SRU. After the SRU um, did their wee survey of how many people that were playing, and it turned out to be significantly less than anybody thought. Um, <laughs> That's so, encouraging news. Yeah, we mustn't we mustn't worry about that. It's been, Don, Donny's been to Montrose and they're doing wonderfully in Montrose. So that's where it's where the future of rugby is for Montrose Rugby Football Club. Who knew? Well, 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 we're not allowed unfortunate facts to get in the way of uh, our, our enjoyment of Scottish rugby. It hasn't so far. And it's certainly never been something we've let us impact us on the blog, in fairness. No, facts have never troubled us on the podcast <laughs> or the blog. No. <laughs> um, we should talk probably briefly about the weekend's games. Um, I know it's subject to a couple of people's hands in the ruck. Uh, we might get on that later. But um, <laughs> the, the Ireland game, uh, 60 minutes to, to run up... F- Four tries against yeah. Russia. 
I mean, is that worrying for us or worrying for them? Do you think? Oh, I think it's I don't know, it's, a, it's a really interesting one. Right? I watched it with an Irish uh, colleague of mine at work. Actually, we took an early lunch to nip out and go and and watch it. And I think you, we kind of both went in thinking, ah, 60, 70 points. Um, you know, Ireland had had their 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 hiccup against Japan. They were going to bounce back. Um, man, that was turgid. It yeah. was it was hard work for them. I. I think Russia have been better than everyone kind of thought they were going to be. I mean, you know, I heard the stories of them getting beat by Jersey Reds and <clears throat> whatever else before the uh, tournament started. Everyone thought they were going to rack up cricket score. Um, they held up pretty well against Japan. They were reasonable against Samoa as well, were they not? Um, yes. And obviously Ireland, you know, number one side in the world. or were number one side in the world very recently. They seemed to show up pretty well, but Ireland were poor. And I would be very, very disappointed. So you're looking at, you know, the, the points difference that we need to make up on Japan ahead of this of the final game and the off chance that there's a three way tie at the top of that group, I'd be very disappointed if we didn't exceed that. I think some of the thirty six points we have to we have to clean yes. up. I'd actually be disappointed if we didn't get another nil. There's a real opportunity maybe for the first time in Scottish rugby history to get two two grannies back to back. Yes. Well I mean that and, and that's got to be a target for them going into the game. I mean at the minute Scotland are on plus ten points difference. Uh, Japan are on plus forty six and Ireland are on plus fifty two. I mean, this bring this would bring us level on games played with both of them. So you've got to be target. I mean, realistically, to get that points difference, you've got to be targeting. I mean, forty two is not not a big ask, is it, against Russia? You wouldn't think so. And yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know we'll come on to the team, but you look whilst it's very much well, you know without being disparaging, very much a dirt tracker side. You would still expect the points to be in there. Um, but you know, Russia have Russia have you know surprised people. They've played sensible rugby. They've played to their strengths, as you know, as limited as they are. They have played to those, and and they should be credited. You know, I mean, we've seen, well, you've seen Namibia getting you know thumped. But even then, that game against New Zealand, they, you know, they they held their own for half an hour or so. Um, and and a lot of the tier two and the tier three nations in particular, I think, have actually shown up pretty well this tournament. Yeah, I mean, even the, even Canada against. The All Blacks wasn't, you know. I think this, they, they did. They had moments where they really did quite well against New Zealand, given the the difference in you know funding and background and the like. It was. I think. I think it's that thing of it. You get to a World Cup and the tier two teams do really step up, and they always put on a good show. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you look at Tonga against France. You look at, well, and, and but I think what's maybe the difference this time round is even it's been the tier three. So Uruguay, for example, turning mm. over Fiji, the, there does seem to be more surprises this this turn round. You know, none bigger obviously than Japan against Ireland. But um, I still, you know, looking back to this, looking at that Ireland game. I mean, they were poor. And if I was Irish right now. I think I'd be quite worried because they they started well, but you do have to, in hindsight, look back and say, well, how much of that was them playing really well, mm. and how much of that was Scotland just being a week behind where they probably needed to be. Yeah. Uh, I think in hindsight, um, and then you know they struggled, they they missed so many sort of obvious things to do against Japan. Um, they, you know, the trajectory is not upwards. And, you know, Scotland get out of this group. Conversely, you would never have said this coming out of Yokohama as I traipsed out the stadium in the pouring rain on that <laughs> Sunday on my 40th birthday as the Irish went single-handedly to try and destroy it. Um, you wouldn't have thought that Scotland might be the ones going into the quarterfinal, you know, 
on an upward curve, or indeed Japan going in an upward curve rather than the Irish. No, and, and looking at that Japan Samoa game at the weekend, it's not it's not a stretch to say that Ireland have got a job on their hands to get the bonus point win against Samoa because Samoa will be looking for to to leave the tournament with some sort of pride in it, as much as they're not there disorganised, but they you know they they, they had moments against. Japan, and, and it's not impossible to see them not beat. I don't think they'll beat Ireland, but certainly they hold them to a non-bonus point win. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, if if Typhoon Haggis doesn't get them first, yes, I, of course. As as an entire nation, yet again cheers on the encroaching disaster for Japan. I'm sorry, Japan. Um, but uh, you know, I mean. You're absolutely right on the performances against both Japan and particularly against Russia. You know, there's no guarantee Ireland get the, the bonus point in that one unless there's a real real uptick in their performance because they've been turgid the last two games. Yeah. Um, hurricane update on ha- Hurricane. It's a, a Hurricane Hagabis, or as everyone's calling it, Hurricane Haggis, um, is is heading its way to Japan. For people that don't know, um, the update on that is that it is gone now a super typhoon. It has gone from 60 mile an hour to 160 mile an hour peak winds in 24 hours. It's the fastest rate of intensification estimated in any tropical storm ever recorded on Earth. Wow. Um, I think that was ever recorded since the records office was mysteriously blown away 50 years ago. And I just want to know, yeah, and I just wonder which point the Irish press start accusing the typhoon of targeting Conor Murray's standing leg. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's only a matter of time. Um so I, I, yeah, I literally, and I'm, I'm sorry to our Irish listeners and friends, as few as they may be out there in terms of listeners. Anyway, plenty of Irish friends. Um, that uh, I will find nothing funnier that uh, if that is a zero zero typhoon call off, yes. that, uh, I mean that possibly would make my World Cup. We are all rooting for the typhoon. We we we, <laughs> we pray it causes minimum of damage but maximum uh, disruption, if that makes sense. Um, Absolutely, that would be that would be the dream that everybody comes out of it completely unscathed, minimal loss to undamaged to property, but the Island uh, <laughs> the the Island Samoa game is called off. Um, for those that don't know, if that does happen, then it's recorded as a nil nil draw. It hasn't happened yet. I mean, the World Rugby there's been talk of them having contingencies without them actually saying what that is. I, I mean, presumably, if they know for a fact 48 hours out that it's going to hit, they move the match, right? You would think so. Um, though logistically, that's not going to be easy because you, you're presuming they're going to have to wait until after the game. You're probably another couple of days. Then you're running into your quarterfinal yeah. warm-up schedule. So do you start knocking your quarterfinals? I think it's more of an issue when you get to the quarterfinals. They made it clear at the start of the tournament, certainly in the group stages, it's a nil-nil. So I think, you know, are they going to hold that line? I, the 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 absolute strammy and stramash that that would cost that would cause um, would be would certainly be interesting to watch as a <laughs> I was just going to say a neutral observer but completely unneutral observer. <laughs> um, however, you Irish know, meltdown. Yes. Yeah, oh, absolutely. However, let, you know, let's. I think in all likelihood. I don't think we can rely on a typhoon, and it's no. a sad day. <laughs> sad day <laughs> <to> before <laughs> relying on natural disasters to see us through. Um, so I, I think I, th- I come back to your point though, Cam. I think Samoa will. There's more to them, you know. If they can keep yeah. their discipline, and that's been their challenge all the way through, right? But they keep their discipline, you know. I, I, 
be interesting. And it's a matter of pride for them at this point as well. You know, they've got the, they've got five points. They you know they could see themselves leaving with a, a losing bonus. You know, keeping Ireland to less than a try bonus is a, is a would be a, a massive boost for them. It, it would yeah. kind of give them something to go home with, I guess. But they, um, they're also they'll also be looking at the Scotland Japan game and thinking there's a chance for them getting third. Yeah, which means they automatically qualify for the next tournament, right? Yeah. So they'll will be they, they will have an outside chance. They if we beat Russia, they cannot end up third. Yes, yeah, we would lose that in the head to head, right? Yeah, they'd lose it on the head to head. But yeah, but they, but but even even so, still ending up with some sort of going home with some sort of sense of pride, I would imagine, would be quite big to a team like Samoa. Um, and, and and you know they're, they're a proud nation. They're a tier two. They they you know they're going through a, a rough patch, but you know they they still have their moments. So that'll be interesting. If Ireland do uh, win, but without a bonus point, that leaves them on fifteen points, which brings them into contention for the three way tie. Uh, and we will get onto that uh, shortly, and no doubt continue to talk about that for the next week or so. Um, we'll, we'll look ahead to. We'll, we'll, I'm going to save the inc- the big incident talking point from the Japan. Uh, the Japan some more game until hands in the rucks. We've had lots of lots of um, submissions on that point, um, as you can imagine. Um, we'll, we'll look then to Scotland Russia uh, quarter past eight on uh, Wednesday morning. Um, it's nice to have a nice uh, a midweek game that starts at quarter past eight because it means you can you know just go to work late. Um, it's good. It's a convenient kickoff time. Um, so Scotland named their team today. Uh, should we start with the forwards? Is that the best way to do it? Yeah, I think so. So we've got uh, like you said, it's a dirt. It's it's the dirt tracker side. Um, Gordy Reid, George Turner, Xander Ferguson, Scott Cummins, Ben Toulis, John Barkley as captain, Fraser Brown and Ryan Wilson. Now Fraser Brown for me is probably the big surprise in all of that, given that he's yeah. a hooker and given you are essentially because Stuart McInerney is on the bench, you've got three. You're all your three hookers in a matchday squad. Yeah, and it, you know we, we'll come to it, but there's only two backs on the bench, which just seems a wee bit imbalanced. Um, but I guess you know, I, I kind of get the point of having um, you know obviously Turner needs to get a run out, right? Um, Brown can do a good job there. I mean, I think actually Brown did he not finish? Did he not finish the Ireland game? He came on. Uh, he <clears throat> came on in the first half, didn't he? Because he came so. on for he came off Watson. Came off Watson yeah, because the right? because who was on the bench? So uh, I think the one who was on the bench was it uh, in the back row? Was it Thompson? That's it. Thompson was the back row, the natural back row option, mm-hmm. and I think they brought Brown on because they wanted Thompson to play later in the game. Yeah, I'm yeah, guessing, yeah, and yeah. then that's easy then to just shift shift Brown forward and give McAnally more of a game. So, yeah, I mean, you look at that, considering the the opposition. I mean, there's still enough. I mean, Reed's actually had a pretty decent amount of game time. You know, obviously he played, you know, for what sixty odd minutes, seventy minutes. Of- so that front row then. Reed, Turner, and Ferguson. I mean, I've got less. Well, like you were saying, I've got less worries now about Gordy Reed after his sixty minutes against Samoa, where he played right to the bitter end. Yeah, I mean, I think he's he's perfect for these sorts of games. He's experienced, right? So he's seen it and he's done it. He's obviously fit, um, and he's pretty solid, right? I mean, he's not gonna he's not gonna win any competitions for you know best prop of the year, but he's reliable, right? Um, so, and he's been yeah. good. He's been really good with his chat with the referee as well. And it's not something yeah. we've had in a front row. Pr- 
prop. I think most of our props kind of like shrug the shoulders and walk away, but he, he's in the referee's ear in a kind of bantery, chatty, matey, matey kind of way. You know what's going on there. You know, and you think well, and you think how well the the Russian set piece and the Russian scrum has stood up so far in this tournament. Having somebody in there who can try and gently influence the referee um, as he goes through is going to be really important because that isn't going to be a cakewalk necessarily, certainly to begin with. So I, th- and I think then when you've got Turner and, and Fagerson, Fagerson's relatively experienced despite his you know his somewhat callow years, um, but having Reed there beside Turner is, is going to be really important. I think you do need that a bit more experience, yeah. particularly because your second row, certainly Cummings is, is certainly the coming man. Um, pardon the pun, um, but he's you know he's still relatively inexperienced and he's got Toulis beside him then you know as an older head I mean Toulis must have 30 odd caps by this point right not as many as you think I don't think is Ben not, Toulis really no it's I mean I wanted to talk about Ben Toulis a little bit I, I don't know if you, had you seen the interview with Ben Toulis in uh, this week where he was talking yeah, about yeah on the BBC it was an odd one now how many caps has he got for he's got 21 appearances for Scotland uh, okay. so there's not as many as you think Ben Toulis and it was a really strange interview, and it popped. It wasn't just the BBC. It popped up in a couple of places. I think because he'd done a press conference, and mm. he was kind of saying, which is in contrast to what a lot of the, the the kind of stuff you get from the other players. Kind of, I'm good enough. I'm playing my best rugby. Yeah. I'm angry at not being picked, and you kind of think, well, that's demonstrably not true. Point. <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he cut a really frustrated figure, all right. From yeah. what I read, you know, reading between the lines, he did seem to be a bit miffed that he'd. Certainly, I don't know whether he thought after, you know, obviously the, the, the Ireland car crash, whether he thought he was, you know, going to get a chance in the, the Samoa game and the fact that, you know, maybe Gilchrist got another run out in that game, I don't know, seems to have put his nose out of trouble. But look, he's got the chance. And I think, you know, the fact that he's starting probably rules him out from starting against Japan. There's nothing to say that if he has a stormer. That he doesn't then, you know, put his play his way onto the bench and you know, yeah. all hoping, you know, play himself, you know, with the, with the opportunity to play himself in for a quarter final contention, you know. Um, but it was it was a strange interview, just because normally these things are all fluff pieces, right? So it was yeah. at least honest. <laughs> it was honest. I think what the strange thing, you know, he he was one of the locks that played that awful game in Nice, mm-hmm. and I think that did a lot of damage to a lot of people, guys' chances in Townsend's but, eyes. A lot of the, the the players in that team, you know, you look at Jamie Batty hasn't made it. Uh, mm. Ben Toulis has dropped down the pecking order. I mean, you got Barkley, Richie, but Josh Strauss is gone. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Byron McGuigan's gone. Hugh Jones is gone. So a lot of the guys that played in that game <laughs> haven't made the final cut. Played themselves out. But he had a really good game in the away game in Georgia. He did, yeah. Yeah, but and the- he scored. he scored in that game, I think. You know what I mean? So... Uh, you know, And he's been reasonable when he has he played. Has. I just don't think he's ever lit the you know the, the scene up in any way again he is he's reliable but not much more than that I think it's that thing is the same with Grant we've talked about this with Grant Gilchrist and he had a much get better game against Samoa is that you know Johnny Gray when he's on his game is world class when he's not on his game he's still a good international player yeah Toulouse and Gilchrist on the day are very very good international players and Toulouse I think that that Australia game away game in Australia when Sydney mm. right had an absolute yeah. worldy but then when they're not in the game, they're good Pro 14 players. And it's the drop. They have the ability, both of them, to drop below that sort of international standard in international games. And you can't do that. Yeah, you can't afford to have people go missing. And yeah. I think that's... And, you know, that is, it, it's just the fact that they don't... 
you know, they don't show up, they don't make an impression on the game. It's not that necessarily what they do do when they do it is particularly bad, but they're not doing enough of it. You know, and that was, you know, Gilchrist had a good game against Samoa and he started off on the right foot. He, you know, he started off by putting in, I think he put in a couple of really big hits, drove a Samoan back really early on. And he obviously had the bit between his teeth. He, you know, the problem he's going to have is just continuing that forward for Toulis. You're kind of eeksy peeksy between him and Gilchrist. I mean, I think Gilchrist is probably a slightly better player than yeah. than Tulis. He probably has slightly more in his armory. Um, but look, you know, we, we need Tulis to come in. We need Tulis to to probably call the lineouts. You know, um, on, on Wednesday, I'm, I'm presuming he'll probably because I think that's part of the reason why he's generally been in and around the squads because he is a lineout caller as well. And I think that's I'm sure I've read that that's part of the reasons why he's you know is it that leadership at the lineout yeah. situation. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, that front five, they should have more than enough. You know, say Fagerson's, Fagerson adds, you know, a decent amount of ballast. Um, but he's got a decent experience. You know, and, and, you know, on another day, he's, you know, he's certainly there or thereabouts. And, you're, you, you know, you're, you're starting 15 and, you know, in the big games as well. And then you, you drop to the back three, you know, Barkley and Wilson are certainly not short of experience. No. And they... They have a point to prove because you know if they they think they've got much more chance to play in this tournament, they're going to have to show up. Particularly Barkley, who was hugely disappointing against Ireland. Yeah, I think he he had a better on watching it back. He had a better game than I thought he did the first time around of watching it, but it still wasn't good enough. I think Wilson did. Wilson was keen to show that he could do something when he came out against Samoa in the limited time mm. he had. But I think he's he's another one like Toulouse, and I think there was one game it was maybe last autumn. In fact, it was a South Africa game last last autumn. I think Tullis and Wilson were playing, and we talked about this at the time that after a, after you know after a couple of of sets of rucks, they were just kind of gently ambling back mm. to the defence line. And you think you want to see, even if you don't need to jog back, it, it's just the impression you get. And it wasn't a yeah. kind of you know a, a sort of like determined walk back. It was just kind of a general saunter around. And it's the sort of thing. You know, I remember sort of, um, Mike Bobbins on Blood and Mud once saying that about James Haskell as he just walked between rucks and that's all James Haskell did during a game. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I mean, first of all, going back a couple of minutes there, Cam, I'm amazed and oh, hugely impressed that you watched that Ireland game back. Yeah. I am. Um, <laughs> I, I came home and uh, quickly deleted it from the uh, Sky Q box. <laughs> as soon as I landed back in country, I was like, well, I'm never going to want to watch that again. Um, but, you know, I mean, I do think we do need Wilson and Barkley to show up. I mean, I think if we can really trouble the Russians at the breakdown. And I think that's where Ireland kind of missed a trick. I don't really... Actually, I think they got dominated, for particularly in the second half, for about 20 minutes, and they got really badly dominated by the Russians. And, and they lost the arm wrestle up front. They lost the arm wrestle at the Rock. And, and Barkley needs to go in and have a game, and Wilson, like they did you know, against England back at Murrayfield a couple of years ago in the, in the Kolkata Cup, about 18 months ago. You know, If they can go in with that sort of level of aggression and, and you know just busyness about wanting to get around their job, that the sort of the passion for trying to to snaffle the ball, get over it, show the picture to the referee, so we don't yep. stupid penalties. Um, you know, then I think we, you know, we should be fine. Actually, we will be fine. We will be fine. Yeah, I mean, you've got a lot of mobility but, but, there in the in the pack. You have got Turner, you know, Turner and Turner's decent around the breakdown down as well. You've you know Scott Cummings um, as well as really good, you know. When he gets yeah. gets going, um, the the backs and like I said, I mean the bench is a strange one. We've got Kinghorn, Seymour, Duncan Taylor, Pete Horn, Darcy Graham, and Adam Hastings. Um, 
I guess I mean it's obvious that Maitland was going to rest be rested for this game. Really, he's the he's the one nailed on choice for for Japan. Yeah. I I mean I'd be tempted to rest Darcy Graham, but I don't know who I'd rest who I'm resting him well, for I really. Think, I think that's the problem. Is that who do you bring in? For Graham, because I mean, I, I like, so I mean, I'll go back to the Ireland game. There were two changes in that. When I saw the starting lineup, there were two changes I wanted made. I wanted Blade Thompson in for Wilson, and I wanted Darcy Graham in for Seymour. They were the two obvious ones. I think you know, I think I really want Graham to be fit for that Japan game. So I'm hoping he will only play, you know, half an hour, an hour, yeah, half an hour, you know, a half maybe. Um, I'm, I'm presuming they've kind of put Graham in there in the hope that you, you get your four tries in the first half and then you can whip him off, right? Because if you, you know, his pace will be critical against Japan, both yeah. def- and his work in defence. You know, then the amount of work he put in against Samoa, it's, it's unreal for a you know a guy that's so small. I think you guys commented on it in the, the last pod about the fact that he's you know he's a frustrated back rower, um, and he's the question is is just how do you shuffle that backpack to to allow him to come off um, but the rest of them certainly in that you know Kinghorn at fullback that's kind of um, he needs game time um, and he's reliable enough you know and he's, he's got enough going forward he's a he, good broken field runner you think he'll get opportunities to attack Russia Seymour needs to put in a performance if he has any hope of getting onto the bench against um, Japan or indeed plays his way in because that's either going to be Seymour or Graham one of those is going to have to start the Japan game yeah so you do wonder if it's a bit of a shootout. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the, the interesting thing, I think, is the, the Darcy Graham interview this week as well, which kind of contrasts with the Toulouse one, that just how hard Darcy Graham is on himself because he wants to be the best, and not just the best in Scotland. He wants to be sort of best in the world standard, and that's, I think we're starting to see that with the younger players coming through now with Scotland. is because they're, they, they're, they're more used to winning than the old yeah. guard. They, they, they're not settling for being the best ever player in their position for Scotland they want to be the best player in their position full stop and you know they've had some yeah and absolutely and they're they're coming into a side you know for the first time maybe in about 20 years you've got young players coming into a side that have world-class players there you know there's no getting away from the fact that you know Finn Russell is world-class Stuart Hogg is world-class you know they have a benchmark they have a standard at which they're looking to to try and emulate you know within their immediate peer group um and I don't know, that's not been there for a number of years, probably back to, you know, sort of early 90s, you know, when you had a younger group coming through. And that's really heartening. And it's really good to see the players wanting to challenge themselves. But these are the sorts of games where, you know, for the likes of Graham and for the likes of George Horn as well, you know, going into to Wednesday, this is a real chance for them to sort of set that benchmark at a World Cup yeah. and, and play their way. Well, certainly, I think, to my mind, Graham will probably start against Japan. Um, yeah. But it will depend who gets comes off. You'll, you'll know an awful lot of who's starting that game, um, depending on who comes off and who's in that wider squad for Japan, depending on who comes off and when. Yeah, I suppose the one worry is, like you were saying, you only got two backs on the bench in Pergos and Harris. I mean, Harris offers a lot of versatility, and you know, even on the pitch, you've got Taylor who can cover a hell of a lot of positions. Um, King Ong can cover back three. Um, Pete Horn, I, I suppose, can cover ten. So there is versatility within it, but but you you're essentially going to be asking a lot of the backs in this game. Yeah. I mean, I'm presuming... Full, full, full yeah, I mean, so I'm presuming they would probably bring on Pergos. Put, oh, I'm trying to work it out, actually, looking at the squad. So I mean, I don't know if you, you move on... Hastings to fullback, Kinghorn to wing, put Horn in at 10. 
Well, well, I bring Harrison maybe then to play at centre. The word with the I think it was the offside line were reporting that that Chris Harris is officially Scotland's third choice ten. In the oh, squad. really? Oh, never played there, so that could be. It could be really. I think. I think the second half and the back selections and who gets shuffled where is going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where, and I'm going to say something that we've not yet uttered. I think during the tournament yet, but I know it was a hot tub before. I think having somebody like Hutchinson in the squad would have been useful. Um, you know, for these sorts of games, um, it might have given us a little bit more option. Um, but I, I think it's quite. You know, you look at this Harris being on the bench. I think that to me suggested as Harris Johnson starting against um, Japan, yeah. unless there's a you know a real shake up, um, which kind of makes sense. I did wonder whether they might even try and put Taylor in at twelve and put Harris, uh, Johnson on the bench because um, Johnson's been good defensively, but he's not shown up going forward. But you know Taylor's, I don't think Taylor's necessarily lived up yet to you know certainly Tunis' expectations. You know he, he he's gone out on a limb a wee bit. To get him in here and get him playing, um, I think he owes Tooney a performance in this game, Taylor. Uh, and he is experienced, and he, I think his club experience with Saris is phenomenal, right? Yeah. When fit, so he needs to. He really needs to. Um, I think, and I think that's up. the, and that's been the risk, isn't it, with Taylor that he's brought a player who hasn't played for the best part of over a season due to and injury, it looks like that, right? Yeah. You know? So and and to but to a certain extent, you know, this is a this is more game time for him. So you're looking ahead to a. We find ourselves in the unfortunate position where we, you know, we have no right to be looking beyond the next game, let alone into the quarterfinals at the minute, given the start Scotland had to this tournament. So, but you imagine coming into this that, that Townsend's had one eye on that, thinking, well, you'll get some game time in the tournament, yeah. And if we make it to the quarterfinals, and I think it would, you know, be remiss. Of uh, and to not be thinking about the quarterfinals. Yeah, you know, there has been an awful lot. I'm going to say this right now because this is has <laughs> been grinding my gears. But it was covered earlier on. I think in the last pod, uh, it's somebody else's hands in the rock. But this loving for Japan is is starting to get uh, slightly tedious. Um, they are at heart still a tier two nation, um, and whilst they have improved a lot. I would be deeply disappointed if we don't get out of this group. Even with the need to get a bonus point or limiting Japan to bonus point, I, 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 we should still have more than enough to get through that. Now, that's a hostage to fortune, but I think we shouldn't be overly frightened going in there. So I'm hoping that the management team, you know, Townsend and his, and his backroom staff are looking ahead, two, you know, two games ahead and saying, you know, how do we want to play this out? Who do we want to necessarily go into that um, game against, you know, probably New Zealand, right? Yeah. And they've got to, I mean, and, and you know, this, this as much as they say we take things one game at a time, they're clearly not otherwise. Finn Russell will be starting <laughs> against Russia, right? You know, Absolutely. They, they, they're clearly looking ahead. I mean, you, I don't think we can take anything for granted and there'll be guys in this game who, are hungry for it but you're right the the japan loving and it's the interesting thing is we spoke to uh david barnes in the last podcast mm. and you've been out in japan and what he was saying essentially is none of this is coming from japan the, these guys are the definition of humble you know they, they they they're all about having a good time let's see how things go that they've got no there's no hype coming from japan about japan's chances although although i did either here in the radio or reading one of the papers this week about some Japanese uh, journalists now turning up to press conferences asking, you know, 
do people think Japan can win the entire tournament? Um, so <laughs> I, I think the expectation is building out there. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, their expectation was very quickly dampened. Actually, I think it was uh, the night I spoke to to yourself for the podcast, Cam. Um, it was the night the, the night of the opening ceremony and, and a very poor performance from uh, Japan versus Russia in that opening night. I think very quickly dampened expectations, but they get supercharged after that Ireland game. Yeah. And understandably so. You know, if we'd beaten Ireland, I think we'd be probably crowing about our chances as well um but regardless of that you know and the fact that that performance against Ireland there is they still have a lot of development to do um and we should get through this we and we need <laughs> god please let's get through this I think it's that, it's that thing and I think this kind of we, I'm not doing the hands in the rock jingle because it's our little mini pod I don't tend to do the jingles when we do the little what the the the, the shorter ones but this general sort of, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll touch on, we'll come on to the Samoa, the end of the Samoa Japan game in a minute, but, the, you know, the, this is in Scotland's hands, and it still is. If we don't get through, it's got nothing to do with World Cup conspiracies or, um, you know, to, to, to see Japan get to the quarterfinals or anything like that. It's all, it will be down to Scotland and Scotland yeah. not performing or Scotland having complete brain fart as as they want to do occasionally on the pitch. It won't be because we are beaten by a better team. Yeah. And look, I mean, rewind back three weeks. And if somebody had said to you, look, in all likelihood, Scotland's going to need to get a bonus point victory in the last game against Japan to get out of the group. I don't think anyone would have been surprised because you could have easily seen a situation. I don't think anyone, you know, we all hoped and we did have our expectations built up a wee bit against Ireland, but it was hardly the biggest shock in the world that we got out of there with, you know, not even a bonus point. We would have liked a bonus point. We would have liked to have won the game, but it wasn't the biggest shock in the world. The, the performance was the shock, but the result was probably not far off form book. Um, would we be in wholly surprised that we might not have got a bonus point against Samoa? Absolutely. I mean, I think I spoke to a number of people before the game that thought that was likely the, the likely banana skin. So that would have left us in exactly the same position pretty much that we're in now. And, you know, I think there has been an awful lot of focus put on to, you know, the Japan performance against Ireland and nowhere near enough put on to their performance against both Russia but and also Samoa. I mean, Samoa... Yeah. Got, didn't get within an area of scoring against Scotland and they bought, they stuck 19 points past Japan and could have had more. And Japan have got some more to thank and this will come on to this in, a, in a, uh, this point now which is this was Ryan White's hands in the ruck and I'm going with Ryan's because Ryan takes the point that I agree with and I'm kind of, I want to read this out rather than the people that were moaning about the Samoan decision. Is Ryan uh, hands in the ruck said is is the reaction of some Scotland fans to Samoa opting for the scrum. The people implying that Samoa had some sort of obligation to help Scotland out are bad enough. The people suggesting it's part of some tier two conspiracy to help Japan out are complete zoomers. Which I quite like that. But I think it is true. I mean, there's, here's the thing for me, right? So, I mean, you, you look at England versus Wales in the last World Cup, right? And, you know, England take a kickable penalty, draw, take the draw, and they're through. They kick to the corner. Big teams and little teams and experienced players and inexperienced players make stupid decisions in the heat of the moment. And absolutely, if you ask Jack Lamb, well, what option would you take looking back on it? He wouldn't have taken the scrum. But for him, for some reason, at that moment in time, he thought this is our best option. We can. We're they're chasing a losing bonus point, right? So let's go for They'll it, be lads. Open. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you know. I don't think, you know, and a lot of the, 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 the complaint, and I, I saw Townsend's comments today, and I, I can get where he's coming from. I mean, it, 
was probably of the far reaches of expectation that the referee was going to ping a squint feed. And that's the frustration. Certainly that's the frustration for me is that, you know, how many times have we sat there and said, you know, come on, I mean, that's going into the back row. I've seen a couple going in this World Cup that have literally gone in at the number eight's feet. Um, To get pinged for that in the last minute, or not even in the last minute, in injury time of a game against the hosts... It was just a really odd decision. But that, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong, I want to make it perfectly clear, I'm not suggesting there was any conspiracy or any sort of skullduggery yeah. afoot. It was just a really odd decision, particularly at that point in the game. But do you know what? Them's the breaks. It's like they go for you, they go against you, and, yeah. and, and it's there's hard. no point in moaning about it. No, and it's hard. I think this is the thing. is If, if you'd made the wrong call, then I think a bit like you know the, the Scotland-Australia game in the last World Cup, mm. make the wrong call it's fair game but you can't criticize a referee for making a correct call in the laws of the game even just because nobody else has done it for years you can't then suddenly criticize him for doing it at the one you know it, we, we obviously there's the timing issue but to a certain extent you think probably in his mind he's going if you're so daft as to take a scrum five meters from your own line with the clock in the red then i'm going to ping you all day long for stupid stupid mistakes like that Maybe maybe the referee was just like, I want to go off the pitch. Yeah. It's hot. I want a beer. I've been running around for the last 80 minutes. You know what? You're elongating my pain. <laughs> You're going yeah. to suffer as a consequence. So, look, I mean, it is what it is. It was a very, it was a very odd decision by the Samoans. A very correct, but um, certainly contra- semi-controversial decision by, um, you know, the ref. But we just have to deal with it. To be honest with you, it may actually work in our benefits because I think it makes it far less you know, unequivocal as to what we need to do. We just yeah. need to go out. We need to play brilliantly against Japan and put everybody back in their boxes. Yes. And, you know, this if we play good, sensible rugby... Um, I have my own views on how we get through that game, and it's it's there's no need to spay, play you know hear him scare him rugby. I also don't think though like you know I've heard some journalists and, and you know um, Tom English for example who I, I you know I, I very much like his writing and very much like his you know his radio work. However, some of this hyperbole that he's been coming out with um, has been a little bit ridiculous over the last yes. week. You know needing the best performance in the last God knows how many years of competitive Japan are good. Back back to the point we should nine times out of ten be going out there. I don't care how many Japanese people are supporting him in the stadium and and doing the job that we need to do, which yeah. is win the game by eight points. I think the heat has got to Tom a little bit in Japan. That's the only explanation they can Well, I, I mean, like, I'm not going to criticise. I, I, I suffered at the heat and the, the sake as well. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it gets to even the best of us. Um, before we move on um, to, to our own hands in the rucks, um, just to, uh, where things stand, basically Scotland do need a bonus point win against Russia. And, and as we said earlier, the, the, the higher a score they can rack up, the better. For, you know, 40, if they can get 42 points, that takes us a points difference above Ireland at this stage. Um that would to put Scotland on ten points, Ireland are on eleven. Japan are already on fourteen, but Japan and Ireland have played one more game than Scotland at the moment. Um, so it'd be ten, eleven, and fourteen going in the last game. So Scotland beat Japan with a bonus point, and don't let Japan get a losing bonus. Then it's very straightforward. It's fifteen to fourteen. Scotland go through. Doesn't matter what happens to Ireland. Um, if Japan get a losing 
bonus point against us and we win with a bonus point, then it's tied on points and it goes to point difference. Unless yeah, Ireland yeah. unless Ireland go unless Ireland win with a bonus point and they're on sixteen, in which case it would go down to the fact that we beat Japan. Yes. Yes. I know. That that you spend all afternoon working that out and scripting that cam because it was fairly swiftly and accurately covered. Yeah, I've just impressed. I've thought about this for the whole weekend, <laughs> <Non-stop. and> rattling <laughs> around my brain. Um, we will move. I'm going to do my, my. We were sort of touching on Tom English there, and like I said, a lot of time for Tom's writing, and uh, but some of the hyperbole uh, has been a little bit much, and um, I, I got in a bit of a stramash with Rugby Pass. Um, on Twitter earlier this week, uh, just because I felt like that, you know, again, I have a lot of time for some of the content that Rugby Pass put out there, particularly um, formerly of this parish, Jamie Lyle uh, has some really good writing, and Owen James, who used to edit Rugby World again, really, really good articles on there, but they, they let themselves down with their meme work and their constant hate, <laughs> hate clickbait that they try to go for. And I was saying to somebody, it's, you know, as a short term gain, it's all very well and good to generate clicks, but as a long term gain, it doesn't do much to. To instill goodwill in people that you ultimately want to click, <laughs> click your product, it wears Draw after it. Attract. <laughs> Which brings me to the Guardian. Oh dear. This has been raised by. I, I'm try, I'll give credit to the person who raised it. This was brought to our attention by. Where is it on here? Uh, Baldy Pete on Twitter brought this to our attention. Um, which is Paul Reese, who I am still convinced is is a bot who's been created just to write rugby articles. They basically feed in rugby articles to him, and this is what splurges out the other end of this computer. If you look at his his profile picture, I'm pretty sure that's just a, a stock photo of a seventies like crime writer journalist or something. But um, <laughs> he's done a bit of uh, kind of where are we now? at this point in time article on the home nations for the it's the observers it turns out but it's obviously on the guardian website because mm-hmm. they're the same thing um essentially said that, that there have been some some gripes about how japan have been pampered by the organizers no short turnarounds for instance with their matches at least a week apart i don't think anybody's been griping about that scotland nope. where i think we, we understand how these things work we they got a short turnaround in 2015 we get a short turnaround now um Absolutely. It says, but but Scotland will have four days between Samoa and the final game, and Gregor Townsend has a dilemma of whether to rest players such as Finn Russell and Stuhog, or start them and hope victory and the bonus point are banked early so we can bring them off. Well, Paul, what I mean, obviously the team wasn't announced, but yeah, we've played Samoa. Yeah, um, a, a very yeah. the briefest of Googles would have told you that. The so. yeah, I mean. Is anyone surprised? I mean, the Grinhead has had a long and checkered history of editorial faux pas. They're they're blind spot to Scottish rugby. Do you know, funnily enough, is when I was on the flight back from Japan, I was going through old podcasts and I came across Peak Wilson. Yes. And in Peak Wilson, we looked at the Guardian player ratings. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And they gave Joe Lunchbury a seven. This was a 2018... (laughs) So this is for for those that can't remember Peak Wilson, the 2018 Calcutta Cup match um, at Murrayfield, where Scotland spanked the living daylights out of England, and uh, Joe Lunchbury got a seven, which was the same as a whole myriad of Scotland players, including uh, two try scoring, game winning Hugh Jones. <laughs> So <laughs> that that not just was that Peak Wilson, that was 
peak guardian it in was. terms of their absolute blind spot to Scottish rugby. So you know, and, it, and in fairness to them, it's consistent. It's not just Paul Rees, you know, no. is it Michael Alwyn, and and they're all of a similar similar ilk. I think the thing is, it, it's a bit like with the rugby pass thing. Is what lets it down is the Guardian rugby coverage is good. They do. I mean, Rob, Rob, Robert Kitson's got a bit today mm. where he's interviewed the dad of the French young French player who died yeah. playing rugby, and you know, so they put out good articles. It's just when it descends to the level of essentially sort of club room banter, I will get a slide digging my article, my professional journalism article. Do you know, God, we we we're, we're a rugby blog, a fan blog, and we write more professional stuff than this. Do you know what I mean? Not maybe not on social media, but in our articles, we try and avoid being <laughs> so partisan. But you know, even in you know the next paragraph after the one I read out says, "Few neutrals would be rooting for Scotland, and for many many it'd be calmer if the country behind the collapse of the Nations League and the pathway to the top for emerging nations were knocked out by a tier two country." Well, Paul Reese. <laughs> well, well, really? well. Our quick Google wow. poll shows that you wrote an article earlier this year which said that it wasn't just Scotland but a number of other of the home nations and other nations that had concerns about it. Dear me. I mean, crikey. He's, he's um, maybe the uh, IRFU or I've got to them because they're still reeling from the World Cup. So My only, The only thing I can be, think uh, of is yeah. that I he, he was maybe like spent some time in, I don't know, Melrose and... Jim Telfer was his gym teacher or something for a bit. <laughs> he's been he's been scalped with a plimsoll by uh by Jim Telfer. But I very possibly. Um yeah, I think there's um there's some easy target e- easy hits, but you know, look at your target audience and who are they actually writing for? They're not gonna sit there and turn around and blame, you know, the ever so lovable RFU, are they? Um and no. who are in no way whatsoever uh, interested in uh, money grabbing and uh, Building their bank balances in, in any way was no, their, their reaction to Scotland voting uh, for France for the next World Cup showed showed just how much uh, you know the Irish aren't uh, at all interested in in money grabbing and uh, the bank balance. That was, that was a very <laughs> measured response to Scotland voting for France. Um, Absolutely, and not, Absolutely. not at all over the top and uh, uncalled for. Um, what what we'll move on from the Guardian then? Uh, I've written a letter to them. I don't know if it gets published. Let's see. <laughs> Um, what, what's been your hands in the rook then, Al? Right, so, um, and there's been a bit of, oh, quite a lot of comment on this, and I see uh, Steve Hansen's been out today in the press, the number of red cards that we've had in this World Cup, and obviously there's this concern, is that going to, you know, we're seeing, what's there, five red cards so far, we're halfway through, or we're just over halfway through the number of games, and there was one in the entire tournament in 2015. So there's a huge markup, and obviously the rules have changed. And there's been a lot of sort of gnashing of teeth, you know, and oh, the game's being softened, et cetera, et cetera. But I had a look today, and it's of four, and I was having a look at who the red cards were for. So of four of those, and there's one I've not seen, which was Facundo Gattas for Uruguay's red card. I've not seen that one. But the Argentinian, uh, Silvanini, um, against England, um, shoulder to the head. I mean, even four years ago, I think he would have been lucky to get away without a citation and a red card for that. John Quill for the USA, likewise, tried to reorganise Owen Farrell's face. And I mean, look, mitigation, it's Owen Farrell. We've all, <laughs> we've all wanted to reorganise his face. 
but it's still a red card offence. Ed Fido, the two yellow cards for Samoa, two utterly brainless, absolute stonewall yellow cards. In any era, that is a yellow card. Can't go in feet first. And um, Andreas Lovotti um, attempted murder on a South African um, along with the the, the other Italian whose name I can't remember. I mean, they were lucky to get away without two reds. I mean, that was there's not been a tackle that bad since uh, was it Tano Amago and um, Brian O'Driscoll. Uh, speaking of chips on the shoulder, and <laughs> so you know, there's what the gnashing of teeth. Yes, there has been, but none of those red cards or very few of those red cards are actually because of the new rules. They're just down to utter brainless play. I mean, that Lavotti one was unreal. I mean, it was, what were you thinking, man? Yeah. The same with the Fidei ones, you know, the two yellow cards. They, they are red cards, or two yellows and a red, you know, every day of the week for God knows how many years. So the rule changes, I just don't know. I don't know if the rule changes have just led to players being, you know, even more dense. Has it sort of forced out denseness? Well, what's really interesting is the... the some more came out and said they hadn't trained the players to change their tackle technique. Perhaps the Australian not saying the same thing about Reese Hodge as well. And yeah, well that's okay. No, Michael Cech think... make a suggestion to that effect as well, but it is Michael Cech. So. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's the it's it... really bizarre. But weirdly, five yellow cards, five red cards so far. The number of yellow cards is 17 for the tournament. We're more than halfway through. There were 50-odd, 54 yellow cards in 2015. We're more than halfway through, and we're only at 17. So it seems that the penalty, the number of yellow cards being dished out has dropped commensurate to the number of red cards that have come in. So I don't know if there's something in there. It's one for the statisticians, one yeah. for somebody to have a look at. But... I was just looking back at my... I, I, I did an article for the blog after the last World Cup called the Tinfoil Hat World Cup, looking at all the different conspiracy theories that were around the time. And the big thing last World Cup was neck rolls. Mm. That was the big talk. This time it's high tackles. Last time it was neck rolls. So it's interesting to see what... There's always something, isn't there, that they're looking for every World Cup. It was neck rolls last time. This time it's high tackles. The Kieran Reid thing's interesting. The, that you know, the um, mm. everyone having this big fuss about that you know that video that's been shared of Kieran Reid against Canada, where he pushes a player yeah. out of the way quite legitimately. I think he's allowed to do that, and yeah. then the referee says, "Get back," and he do, he's just and this is I think this is the difference between brainless play and clever play. Kieran Reid is completely aware of everything he's doing at that moment in time. He shuffles back ever so slightly. He gets himself on a mark. He is marginally offside, but he's playing He's playing with the offside because the, the offside at the Rock now is the hindmost foot of your hindmost player. So yeah. he, as um, all-black player, comes out of the, flying out the back of the Ruck. And at that point, Kieran Reid is onside without doing anything. So he was offside when the player was in the ruck. The player comes out of the back of the ruck and all of a sudden he's offside. He and and he's he gets that advantage. He knows exactly what he's doing. And the referee it, it's a split second decision when the player comes out the back of the ruck and then Kieran Reid tackle goes in to tackle the Canadian player. And it's such a fine margin and that's what good players do. And we can yeah. get all worked up about, you know, conspiracies and what do the All Blacks have to do to get carded what does Kieran Reid have to do to get carded and it's the same thing with Richie McCaw what does Richie McCaw have to do to get carded and the answer is he has to do something stupid and he's not going to do something stupid because he knows exactly what he's doing I mean mean, absolutely and there's absolutely zero point particularly around the breakdown there's zero point in people moaning about 
you know, they're half a foot offside or, you know, they've gone into jackal and their their hand touches the ground. You know, again, you know, the Irish and a part of why the Irish have been so good recently is their ability to, to, to make a mess of the breakdown. And there's no way that they are doing things legitimately down there, but they're smart enough to do it properly. Yeah. And what I think just annoys the rest of us mere mortals is the fact is why are our guys not bright enough and Scotland's best performances in the last few years have come where they've they've, they've shown that level of nice Calcutta Cup game in, um, in 20, uh, 2018 at Murrayfield you know Barkley Watson they were offside they were hands were on the ground but they were getting away with it because they were showing the right picture to the referee they were doing you know they were doing enough to stay onside and they were doing it cleverly they did the same again in the New Zealand game and the Australia game you know the the previous autumn um the challenge for the other teams is to do is to look at what those guys are doing and then try and match that and do it be smarter yeah you know don't don't moan about it just go and practice and be smarter and emulate them and that's one of the things i like about rugby. that's why i like rugby i like that people the smart players play with the rules and it's not talking about dangerous play like you know taking guys high and things like that it's it's things like you, you play at the breakdown you know play, playing the referee working out what the referee's going to let you get away with and adapting your game and that's what makes it that's what makes rugby interesting if we just if everyone stuck to the rules all the time it'd be a very dull game ah oh, yeah, it'd be yeah, it'd be brutal. I, nothing never, to it, was talk never, about. It, it was never something I ever did. I was a player. I was just never clever enough to get away with it. That's the reason I had a litany of yellow cards, um, <laughs> and, and none of them for anything other than just being stupid. Um, but yeah, you know, we just need to up our game. And you know, and, and interestingly, just you know, before we wrap up and come back to the Scotland Japan game. The one thing I really want to see Scotland bring back, and, and I think we've had a real absence of, is, is where are where are the tricks up our sleeves? There are a couple of things looking back at previous games coming into this World Cup. You know, where are the the sort of you know the, the try we scored against Ireland a couple of Six Nations ago? You know, the, the, the move of the line out with um, was it Dunbar came straight through the middle. I don't think we've seen us try anything sort of innovative off a line out. Watson did some. Did Watson score against South Africa? It, Oh, did was it South Africa? I think yeah. they maybe did something similar, but you know, I'd like to see something like that. Engaging at the mall as well. They did it quite a lot, the Six Nations before last, where they would let the opposition mall form and then actually stand back for a second and then engage. It made, you know, it I think it was one of the England games that you know the it was a very deliberate tactic to actually not engage as soon as the mall formed and let the sort of momentum go out of the mall before they started pushing. It was it was just clever things. And we seem to have lost that, you know, level of smarts. And it goes I, into you know, the breakdown, etc. I think they're saving it. Because they tried a wall move against France in the Six Nations. It mm. went terribly. <laughs> as that entire game went. But I don't think they've given it up. I think they're keeping as much up their sleeves as they possibly can. And well, not hoping. showing their hand. Here's hoping. I think we'll see a couple of things against Japan. Yeah, but let's look, hope those couple of things aren't a knock on and a yellow card. Yeah. So watch this space. <laughs> um, that's it from us, though, for this episode. Um, it was supposed to be a mini one. We've we've gone on. We've we've you've got a bit of a bit bit more than a mini one from us. Um, hope you've enjoyed it. We'll be back on Wednesday. We're going to record the podcast about. Uh, an hour and a half, two hours after the final whistle of the Russia game, trying people have been demanding we do um, sort of immediate podcast to get so that kind of instant reaction after a match. So we're going to try and do that. Um, we record it over lunchtime on Wednesday, uh, and then we'll be back after 
Scotland, Japan, hopefully with more podcasts planned. Uh, other, uh, otherwise, it'll be back to the Pro 14 and, and moaning about the uh, Premier Sports coverage. <laughs> Look, either way, Cam, there will be plenty of material for podcasts. <laughs> exactly. Because if this goes wrong, we're going to have a rage cast and a half after the Japan game. Yes, exactly. Um, a full full autopsy of, uh, of Scotland's World Cup uh, will we'll no doubt come. But hope, hopefully... Hopefully that won't be it. So um, for the minute, um, you know, keep on listening. Tell your friends about us. Uh, don't forget to download our World Cup song. We'll still enjoy the sake. That's still available to download and find details on the blog, scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. But for the meantime, it is goodbye from me and goodbye from Al. Goodbye. Oh, you can't shift the mesh off the ball. No, you can't shift the mesh off the ball. He'll run rings around your crew because he's a pinball wizard too. No, you can't shift the mesh off the ball. Singing, we're gonna win the World Cup. Oh, yes, we're gonna win the World Cup. And even if we can't, we'll still enjoy the sake. We're gonna win the World Cup. Oh, here he comes. So bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC. He's stupendous, he's tremendous, he's the best. Gabby Logan, Sonny McLaughlin, no, you really cannot knock them. But Doogie's so much better than the rest. So bring back Doogie Dolly on the BBC His cancellation really was a farce Dan Walker, Jake Ball, no they don't have it at all And you can stick your Inverdale up your one, two, three, four Here he comes the famous dancing fin Oh here he comes the famous dancing fin he will throw an old look pass and he'll leave you on your arse. Oh, here comes the famous dancing fin. Singing we're as one, we're fucking blue. Oh, yes, we're as one, we're fucking blue. Oh, we're gonna boo your kicker and hope he misses a sitter. Yes, we're as one, we're fucking blue.